Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Tuesday, May 24th. We've just completed the observance and celebration of Passover and the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But did you know that Passover is not really over until we get to Shavuot? There is the counting of the Omer, a 50-day count that takes you up to the next biblical feast, which is Shavuot or Pentecost. The Omer is counted each evening after sundown. This year's Shavuot begins at sunset on Saturday, June 4th, and ends at sunset on Monday, June 6th. We are to stand when counting the Omer, and we begin by reciting the following blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitshanu mitzvotav zivanu al-sefirat haomer. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to count the Omer. After the blessing, we recite the appropriate day of the count. For example, Hayom Yom Echad Laomer. Today is the 38th day of the counting of the Omer. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Bekukotoy, and it means, In My Statutes. Leviticus 26, 26-39 When I break your staff of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven. They shall dole out your bread by weight, and though you eat, you shall not be satisfied. But if, despite this, you disobey me and remain hostile to me, I will act against you in wrathful hostility. I, for my part, will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your occult places and cut down your incense stands, and I will heap your carcasses upon your lifeless fetishes. I will spurn you. I will lay your cities in ruin and make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not savor your pleasing odors. I will make the land desolate, so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled by it. And you I will scatter among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword against you. Your land shall become a desolation, and your cities a ruin. Then shall the land make up for its Shabbat years throughout the time that it is desolate. 
and you are in the land of your enemies. Then shall the land rest and make up for its Shabbat years. Throughout the time that it is desolate, it shall observe the rest that it did not observe in your Shabbat years while you were dwelling upon it. As for those of you who survive, I will cast a faintness into their hearts in the land of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight. Fleeing as though from the sword, they shall fall, though none pursues. With no one pursuing, they shall stumble over one another as before the sword. You shall not be able to stand your ground before your enemies, but shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall consume you. Those of you who survive shall be heartsick over their iniquity in the land of your enemies, more they shall be heartsick over the iniquities of their fathers. Second Samuel four one to six twenty three. When Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all Israel was alarmed. The son of Saul had two company commanders, one named Bena and the other Rechab, sons of Rimmon the Berothite, Benjamite, since Beroth too was considered part of Benjamin. The Berothites had fled to Gitaim, where they have sojourned to this day. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son whose feet were crippled. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Israel, and his nurse picked him up and fled. But as she was fleeing in haste, he fell and was lamed. His name was Mephibosheth. Rechab and Bena, sons of Rimmon, the Berothites, started out, and they reached the home of Ishbosheth at the heat of the day when he was taking his midday rest. So they went inside the house as though fetching wheat, and struck him in the belly. Rechab and his brother Bena slipped by, and entered the house while he was asleep on his bed in his bedchamber, and they stabbed him to death. They cut off his head and took his head and made their way all night through the Arabah. They brought the head of Ishbosheth to David in Hebron. Here, they said to the king, is the head of your enemy, Ishbosheth, son of Saul, who sought your life. This day Hashem has avenged my lord the king upon Saul and his offspring. But David answered Rechab and his brother Bena, the sons of Rimmon, the Berothite, and said to them, As Hashem lives, who has rescued me from every trouble, the man who told me in Ziglag that Saul was dead thought he was bringing good news. But instead of rewarding him for the news, I seized and killed him. How much more, then, when wicked men have killed a blameless man in bed in his own house, I will certainly avenge his blood on you, and I will rid the earth of you. David gave orders to the young men who killed them, that cut off their hands and feet and hung them up by the pool in Hebron. And they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the grave of Abner at Hebron. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. Long before now, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led Israel in war. And Hashem said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel. 
you shall be ruler of Israel. All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a pact with them in Hebron before Hashem. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he became king, and he reigned for forty years. In Hebron he reigned over Yehudah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Yehudah for thirty-three years. The king and his men set out for Jerusalem against the Jebusites, who inhabited the region. David was told, You will never get in here. Even the blind and the lame will turn you back. They meant, David will never enter here. But David captured the stronghold of Zion. It is now the city of David. On that occasion, David said, Those who attack the Jebusites shall reach the water channel and strike down the lame and the blind, who are hateful to David. That is why they say, No one who is blind or lame may enter the house. David occupied the stronghold and renamed it in the city of David. David also fortified the surrounding area from the millow inward. David kept growing stronger, for Hashem, the God of hosts, was with him. King Hiram of Tyre sent envoys to David with cedar logs, carpenters, and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Thus David knew that Hashem had established him as king over Israel, and had exalted his kingship for the sake of his people Israel. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to David. These are the names of the children born to him in Jerusalem, Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, and Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, the Philistines marched up in search of David. But David heard of it and went down to the fastness. The Philistines came and spread out over the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of Hashem, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And Hashem answered David, Go up, and I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. Thereupon David marched to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, Hashem has broken through my enemies before me, as waters break through a dam. That is why that place was named Baal-perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once again the Philistines marched up and spread out over the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of Hashem, and he answered, Do not go up, but circle around behind them and confront them at the Baca trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the Baca trees, then go into action, for Hashem will be going in front of you to attack the Philistine forces. David did as Hashem had commanded him, and he routed the Philistines from Geba all the way to Gezer. David again assembled all the picked men of Israel, 30,000 strong. Then David and all the troops that were with him set out from Balaam of Yehuda to bring up from there the Ark of Hashem, to which the name was attached, the name 
Yahweh Savayot, enthroned on the cherubim. They loaded the ark of Hashem onto a new cart and conveyed it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Abinadab's sons Uzzah and Ohio guided the new cart. They conveyed it from Abinadab's house on the hill, Uzzah walking alongside the ark of Hashem and Ohio walking in front of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel danced before Hashem to the sound of all kinds of cypress wood instruments with lyres, harps, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out for the ark of Hashem and grasped it, for the oxen had stumbled. Hashem was incensed at Uzzah, and Hashem struck him down on the spot for his indiscretion, and he died there beside the ark of Hashem. David was distressed because Hashem had inflicted a breach upon Uzzah, and that place was named Peretz Uzzah, as it is still called. David was afraid of Hashem that day. He said, How can I let the ark of Hashem come to me? So David would not bring the ark of Hashem to his place in the city of David. Instead, David diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of Hashem remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and Hashem blessed Obed-Edom and his whole household. It was reported to King David, Hashem has blessed Obed-Edom's house and all that belongs to him because of the ark of Hashem. Thereupon David went and brought up the ark of Hashem from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David amid rejoicing. When the bearers of the ark of Hashem had moved forward six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David whirled with all his might before Hashem. David was girt with a linen ephod. Thus David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of Hashem with shouts and with blasts of the shofar. As the ark of Hashem entered the city of David, Michelle, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before Hashem, and she despised him for it. They brought in the ark of Hashem and set it up in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before Hashem. When David finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he distributed among all the people, the entire multitude of Israel, man and woman alike, to each a loaf of bread, a cake made in a pan, and a raisin cake. Then all the people left for their homes. David went home to greet his household, and Michelle, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Didn't the king of Israel do himself honor today, exposing himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects, as one of the riffraff might expose himself? David answered Michelle, It was before Hashem who chose me instead of your father and all his family and appointed me ruler over Hashem's people Israel. I will dance before Hashem and dishonor myself even more and be low in my own esteem. But among the slave girls that you speak of, I will be honored. So to her dying day, Michelle, daughter of Saul, had no children.
John 13.31-14.14 Therefore, when he, Judas, was gone out, Yeshua said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where do you go? And Yeshua answered him, Where I go you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Yeshua answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, The cock shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, We know not where you go, and how can we know the way? Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Yeshua said to him, Have I been so a long time with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how say you then, Show us the Father? Believe you not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Psalm 119.17-32 Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your Torah. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul breaks for the longing that it has unto your judgments at all times. You have rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from your commandments. 
Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but your servant did meditate in your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. My soul cleaves to the dust. Quicken me according to your word. I have declared my ways, and you have heard me. Teach me your statutes. Make me to understand the way of your precepts. So shall I talk of your wondrous works. My soul melts for heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me your Torah graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck to your testimonies, O Lord. Put me not to shame. I will run the way of your commandments when you shall enlarge my heart. Proverbs 15, 31-32 The ear that hears the reproof of life abides among the wise. He that refuses instruction despises his own soul, but he that hears reproof gets understanding. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from 2 Samuel chapters 4-6, through 6, and then we're going to jump into John chapter 13. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, we see some men in hot pursuit of Saul's son Ishbosheth. And they finally do catch up to him. And as he is asleep in bed, they kill him and cut off his head. And then they bring the head of Ishbosheth, David's enemy, to David. So in chapter 4, verse 11, it is written, How much more than? Well, let me back up to verse 10. I'll back up to verse 9. David answered Rechab and his brother Bena, the sons of Rimmon, the Berethite. And he said to them, As Hashem lives, who has rescued me from every trouble. The man who told me in Ziglag that Saul was dead thought he, thought he was bringing good news. But instead of rewarding him for the news, I seized and killed him. How much more then? when wicked men have killed a blameless man in bed in his own house. I will certainly avenge his blood on you, and I will rid the earth of you. The Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. King David helps establish an important principle of military ethics. One may not wantonly kill even to advance a just cause. While one must kill in self-defense, the murder of innocence is a crime. This truth is taken to heart by the Israel Defense Forces, whose soldiers often risk their lives to avoid unintentionally killing civilians. Often, dangerous house-to-house combat is chosen over safer aerial bombings in order to minimize the number of civilian casualties. The enemies of Israel are aware of this and have been known to take advantage of the kindness and morality of the IDF by positioning their weapons and fighters near schools, homes, and hospitals. But this has not deterred the Israeli army from being the world's most moral military force. 
So continuing on in the next chapter, verse 3, All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a pact with them in Hebron before Hashem, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. And he reigned in Hebron for seven years and six months. And then for the remainder of the years, he reigned from Jerusalem. So the very first place where David ruled and reigned as king was from Hebron. And in the beginning, those years, he was basically ruling over Judea, the southern kingdom. But then when he shifted up to Jerusalem, then he was the king over all 12 tribes, both northern and southern kingdom. Um, now in verse 7 it, re- it reads, But David captured the stronghold of Zion. It is now the city of David. The Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. Once the entire nation of Israel unites behind King David, he is able to conquer the holy city of Jerusalem from the pagan Jebusites and to rule there for 33 years. His palace is located in the city of David, just outside the present walls of the old city of Jerusalem. After 15 years of archaeological excavations at this site, a Canaanite fortress dating back to the 18th century B.C. was uncovered. The impressive structure is the largest fortress to have been discovered in Israel from before the time of King Herod. It protects the Gihon Spring, where Solomon is anointed king, making it possible to access the spring only from within the city of Jerusalem. As this verse describes, when King David enters the city, he conquers the stronghold of Zion from the Jebusites, quite possibly referring to this very fortress discovered thousands of years later. Visitors to modern-day Jerusalem can visit the site and be inspired by seeing first-hand evidence of the truth of the Bible. Continuing on, in the next chapter, in chapter 6, we see David celebrating and dancing before the Lord with all his might, because now the Ark of the Covenant is being uh, brought to Jerusalem, to the capital now of the nation of Israel. And it was in the home of a private citizen for quite some time because we saw Uzzah and Ohio transporting the ark and they were doing it not according to the prescribed way. It was never supposed to be carried on a cart, like a wagon. Instead, it was supposed to have poles and the the poles went through some round circular slots and then the high priests, only the high priests, only the Kohanim, the priests, could carry the ark upon their shoulders. So it wasn't being uh, moved according to the way that Yahweh had prescribed it to be moved. And then when the cart began to jiggle and to fall, Uzzah put his hand out to touch the ark, and God struck him dead right on the spot. So the principle there is that we are to follow the Lord's instructions to the letter and to approach him with great reverence and honor and respect and not casually. So 
David now has seen that the ark has brought tremendous blessing upon the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and now he wants to re- to bring the ark into Jerusalem, and this time he is following God's prescribed way. It's being carried properly by priests. And so he's very, very happy that the ark is now being transported to Jerusalem, and so in verse 12 it is written it was reported to king david hashem has blessed obed edom's house and all that belongs to him because of the ark of hashem thereupon david went and brought up the ark of hashem from the house of obed edom to the city of david amid rejoicing the israel bible commentary to this verse reads as follows king david is ready to bring the holy ark to the city of david also known as zion and jerusalem He does this with great joy, participating personally in the festive dancing. Bringing the Holy Ark to Jerusalem transforms the city, making it the spiritual, in addition to political, capital of the nation. Once the Beit Hamikdash, or temple, is built, the people will bring their sacrifices to Jerusalem and be inspired by the divine presence that rests there. Jerusalem then becomes the eternal focal point of the Jewish people and all who seek closeness with the Almighty. Now in verse 14, David whirled or danced with all his might before Hashem, and David was girt with a linen ephod. Now that word whirled or danced in the Hebrew is karar, and it means to whirl or to dance. But also, in the deeper look at this word, um, it can mean to return, to repeat, to attack anew, to advance and retreat, to move around and then surround and enclose, to rotate, revolve, and roll. Now, in a sense, these words are hinting at, it's almost like a warfare. Attack anew, advance and retreat. And so worship can be warfare. That when we are worshiping God, He is going to work against our enemies. It it is defeating to the demonic realm. Demons cannot stay present in an atmosphere of worship. They flee. They leave. They leave the home. They leave the room. They leave. It changes the atmosphere. And so David is dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Now later on, Michelle, his wife, one of his wives, uh, mocks him and scorns him, and, and she makes a comment to him about how he had uh, em- embarrassed and humiliated himself because he was just dancing. He was basically naked except for his trunks. He had trunks on. He had uh, something to cover his private area. But other than that, he was exposed. And so she remarks to him, Isn't the king of Israel? bringing honor to himself today in verse 20 of chapter 6, exposing himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects as one of the riffraff might expose himself. And David answers Michelle, It was before Hashem who chose me instead of your father, 
and all his family, and appointed me ruler over Hashem's people. I will dance before Hashem and dishonor myself even more and be low in my own esteem. But among the slave girls that you speak of, I will be honored. Now, doesn't that sound a little familiar? That was the heart and the spirit of Paul. And he said, It is no longer I who live, but Yeshua who lives in me, and that he he is a sinner and the chief of all sinners. And he goes on and he, he says, It's all about Yeshua, that Yeshua must live in him and through him, and that he must be made low. And so that's the same kind of heart and spirit as what Paul conveyed to us in the New Testament. And the other thing is, David was not concerned about what people thought, that he would make a fool of himself because he was simply dancing for an audience of one, for the king of the universe, for uh, the God of Israel, and he did not care what others thought. There was no fear of man in him. And basically that's a death to pride and to ego, that you will be foolish in the eyes of men so that you can honor your king. And it doesn't matter what others think. All that matters is what does the God of the universe, the God of Israel, think about you? And now let's look into John chapter 13. And there's one great pearl in there that I wanted to bring forth. And Yeshua is speaking to his disciples. And in verse 33 of chapter 13, he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I go you cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And that this characteristic of loving one another is what would set them apart and define them as being true disciples of Christ. Verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. So how do you know if someone is a true disciple and follower of Yeshua? That there is love amongst the brethren. That they truly love one another. You know, many years ago, I attended a large megachurch. And this was before I came into the Hebrew roots of the faith. And I went there for many years and was very faithful in attending and got involved on the worship team and played my instrument. But then at a certain point, um, I felt led to leave that fellowship, that congregation, and went to a different venue. And no one noticed that I was even gone. There was no phone call. There was no person that reached out to say, Hey, where'd you go? We miss you. 
I was there all those years, and then when I left, nobody noticed that I was gone. And that's what can sometimes happen with a large megachurch. If it's devoid of relationships, devoid of small groups where you can be known personally, then there there can be a real lack of love. The relationships that are infused with great love, not just in words, but in deeds and in actions, that's what cause, draws men to Yeshua, is when they see the brethren loving each other. Another litmus test of the health of a local congregation or fellowship is uh, you can see how healthy or unhealthy a, rela- a fellowship is, is how much do the people get together outside of the church service? Do they hang out together? Do they go out to coffee? Do they visit one another in their homes? Do they work on projects together outside of the service? Are there relationships? I was in another small, much smaller congregation, and it was a Hebrew Roots congregation. For several years, very small, maybe 30 people altogether, including children. And they hardly ever met outside of the service. And they wouldn't get together in their homes or, you know, anything. It was just meet on the service day and that was it. And again, even in a small setting, There was a lack of love. There was no relationship amongst the people. So the real litmus test is, are the people connecting to each other and showing love in practical, tangible ways? Helping one another with with projects, deck repair, home repair, sharing food, bringing over meals when someone is sick or at the hospital. Are the people in relationship with each other and serving one another and helping each other? And when people, outsiders, see that, when they see the love, that's what draws them to the Messiah. And that's what distinguishes them and sets them apart as true disciples of Yeshua. There are 613 commands found in the Old Testament, and Yeshua is adding one new command. Only one. And what is that command? Love one another as I have loved you. Sometimes this can be difficult. Sometimes people can get on our nerves, they can wound us, they can hurt us, they can offend us. And sometimes we just feel like throwing in the towel and walking away and say, I give up. I don't want to deal with this person anymore. I've been there. Done that. In years past, I've put on the running shoes and run away. Run away from relationships that I didn't want to deal with anymore. But the love that Yeshua is talking about here is not conditional love. I'll love you as long as you love me back. I'll love you as long as you treat me right. No, it's the agape, unconditional love, no strings attached. I'll love you when you're at your worst. I'll love you 
and walk with you even when you're unlovely to me. It's that unconditional love is, is what melts people's hearts when they least deserve it. To be given a dollop of the love of God is what melts people's hearts. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.